Hey all you cool smoked beers and American barley wines, welcome to another episode of Boys Are From Martin, a women in beer podcast. On this episode, I am joined with Jen Blair of New Realm Brewing Company out of Atlanta, Georgia. But before we get to that episode, um, let's talk about one beer, one good beer I had this week and one cool thing I saw in beer this week. Um, it's not a new beer by any means, but it's just one of those beers you drink and you're reminded how good it is. It is High Wire's High Pitch Mosaic IPA. It's an IPA dry hopped with Mosaic and Centennial hops. They call it a, which I like, a Western North Carolina IPA with bright citrus and tropical fruit aroma. Again, just a beer I've had before, but I was just reminded how good it was. High Wire is coming here to Louisville, so um, trying to re, not re, but a com- um Remind myself how good High Wire's beer is to prepare them for coming into the city. And then just something in beer I saw this week that, or it was today actually, or I guess today is Wednesday, uh, that I saw that I really liked is Duclaw Brewing out of Maryland teamed up with both Squatty Potty, yes, you heard that right, Squatty Potty, and the Colon Cancer Foundation to do a campaign about uh, colon cancer awareness which um, m- March is the Colon Cancer Awareness Month. So it's basically just a campaign. They brewed a beer. Um, they're, doing, uh, they're doing some squatty potties. And uh, uh, Early, um, Everly Well, Early Well is doing, um, donating, not donating, but giving out some test kits for colon screening. So um, I'm going to actually, I'm writing the story for porch drinking currently, um, right now. So hopefully it'll be out in either when you listen to this podcast or uh, soon very much after. With all that being said, let's get to the interview with Jen. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Jen Blair of uh, many things, but mostly of uh, New Round Brewing, I guess, and then also your podcast, False Bottom Girls, which we'll, we'll get to both. How are you doing this Wednesday evening? I am doing very well. How are you doing? I am great. It is, it got up almost to 60 degrees here today, which, and the sun was out. And after two weeks of ice and snow, the sunshine and warm weather is super refreshing. Yes. We actually have a couple of our windows open upstairs right now because it's, it's starting to cool down, but it got warm enough today. I think it was like high sixties, maybe even low seventies. And so it's like in Atlanta, it's almost full-time windows open weather. Yes, I opened mine today. I have a dog, so I'm trying to get in some fresh air into my tiny apartment and um, <laughs> get some of that nice, um, you know, fresh, hopefully spring air and hopefully winter is done for us up here. Right. I know you're coming from Georgia. Are you in Atlanta or are you in? Yes. So Atlanta. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm in Atlanta. All right. So like I mentioned, you are the, um, you're with New Round Brewing out of Atlanta, and I know you also have a location in Virginia Beach. You are the the beer program coordinator. So what what is that? What what do you do? Sure. So I am actually the beer program manager now. Um, I've gotten a promotion recently, and um, we just really need to. Uh, re-record our, our intro that we use the same of every time. But uh, I do, you know, it's everybody likes to joke in the brewery about how, you know, we're growing. Everybody does a lot of different things, but I seem to have the most random assortment <laughs> of things that I do, which in, a, in, you know, in a lot of ways is great, right? Because I'm never bored. I always have some sort of different project going on. Uh, but, you know, today I touched a little bit on our tours. So I'm in charge of our tours program, um, which has obviously been mostly on hold for the past year in charge of the tours program, getting people trained, you know, writing the scripts, doing all, all that sort of stuff. Um, I do a lot of beer education. That's the biggest focus of my job. So I do beer training. Um, this year, I'm starting to focus more on doing a lot more trainings for our sales team. So they know, you know, we're all using common language when we're talking about our products and they know some of the backstories and some of those little fun things that you can share about not just our products, but also the process. So, you know, our sales reps can also be seen as an educational resource for the accounts. Uh, So I do a lot of that. I do a lot of communication with our front of house and back of house on new beers that are coming out. 
I um, help with our sensory program, our in-house sensory program, uh, which is our quality manager is located in our Virginia Beach facility. So I, I handle the sensory panels and other sorts of sensory things on site in Atlanta. So for example, earlier this week, I did a sensory panel for a new product that we're coming out with in the next few weeks with some of our distributor reps. And you know that was building a survey for it, setting up the sensory, walking them through that, and then kind of having a group discussion about different concepts, different flavors, all of that. So, you know, really given the day is going to depend what it is that I do. I have like five other more random things besides that. Um, so I do a lot of things. <laughs> You're the new realm Swiss army knife. Yes. Yes. You are not the first person to make that, <laughs> to make that analogy. And it's definitely true. And then if people aren't familiar with new realm, um, kind of tell people about what it is. I've been to Virginia Beach, so I was there. I didn't actually go to your location there, but I had a couple of your beers. I think it was a Pilsner was the one that I had. Um, so yeah, just tell people about New Realm. Sure. So New Realm is uh, still fairly young. We have we currently have two locations. Um, we actually have probably by the time this episode comes out, we'll we'll have announced some expansion plans uh, because I believe those are coming out um, officially tomorrow. That's very but, exciting. Yes, yes. It's exciting um, as long as you're not the one having to, to make it happen. <laughs> it's still exciting. I'm guessing uh, but, you had a part of that as well. I will have a larger part of it okay. uh, in the coming weeks as we get ready to get the new location open. Um, so New Realm opened in our Atlanta facility, um, kind of depending on who you ask, our CEO will say it was New Year's Eve of 2017. Um, most other people will agree that the actual, you know, official hard opening was about a week later in uh, the beginning of January 2018. And we were the first brewery in Georgia that was opening under the new laws that had gone into effect. And, um, you know, I, I'm not from Georgia. I, I moved to Georgia, so I'm not as familiar with what all the the beer laws were prior to that but i do know that you breweries did not have tap rooms so if you went to a brewery you would get a tour and a souvenir glass um, of a beer but you couldn't just go to a tap room interesting so yeah so new realm was the the first brewery in georgia that opened um, being able to have that brewery concept and then our virginia beach location opened in august of 2018 that is the former Green Flash facility that, uh, you know, expansion has throughout the Southeast has always been the plan for New Realm. And that Virginia Beach happened a little bit faster than they were anticipating. But, you know, it was such a great opportunity that they couldn't pass it by. So we are about a little over three years old in Atlanta now, a little under, I guess we're about two and a half years old in Virginia Beach. And our, you know, we have three co-founders. Um, two of them are, you know, worked together for several years, have kind of been through several different career stages, but are very good at that entrepreneurial spirit and know things like distribution and sales of beer incredibly well. I'm, I'm continually impressed when I get to hear our CEO and our CSMO just do what they do. <laughs> and, you know, anytime you're around somebody with a lot of that experience, like they don't even realize how impressive that they sound just talking about what they're used to talking about. And then our brewmaster, of course, is the legendary Mitch Steele. So he um, had left Stone and uh, took a couple of years hiatus and then joined New Realm as the brewmaster. And um, I know that for me, when I first saw this job posting, Atlanta was never on the radar for me. I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly interested in moving farther south than I already was. Uh, but, you know, I saw the job and I was kind of like having a crush on somebody where I kept thinking about this job description and kept going back and looking at it and, uh, you know, thinking like 
that would be amazing to be able to work at Mitch Steele's Brewery. Like that mm-hmm. would be a game changer. And um, so now I do. And uh, he is our brewmaster at our Atlanta location, our head brewer. His name is Tyler. He used to be the head R&D brewer for Sierra Nevada in Mills River. And then Evan is the head brewer in our Virginia Beach facility. He was with Green Flash as their head brewer, and he's had uh, got his start in California. He's originally from California, um, joined Green Flash there, you know, kind of midway through his career and relocated to Virginia. Um, so we have an incredibly talented brewing team. You know, we don't, of course, with Mitch Steele, we've got some really fantastic IPAs, uh, but we've got, as as you mentioned, you had our Pilsner. We have uh, about five core brands. So we have a Pilsner, we have an American Lager, we have our Hazy IPA, Hazy Like a Fox is our best-selling brand, which I think for most breweries, their Hazy IPA is going to be their best-selling brand. Um, and then we've got two IPAs. We have Hoptropolis and Hoplandia. Um, Hoptropolis is more of a tropical fruit-forward IPA, and Hoplandia is just that classic American, like Mitch Steele IPA. Um, it's my personal favorite. I I, I just love Hoplandia and uh, can't can't really get enough of it. Um, but it is very much a West Coast IPA. So if you know if you're not used to a West Coast IPA, then it might be a little bit of a shock to the system. Uh, so we have in our Atlanta facility, we have a 22 hectoliter system that's fully automated. Uh, we also have a five barrel pilot system, which is where, you know, obviously we do a lot of our mm-hmm. one-offs. Um, the brewing team has quite a bit of leeway in terms of creating recipes, you know, seeing things that they would like to try in the brew house and then brewing that, um, which is always a benefit of going to either one of our locations is to be able to try those pilot beers that don't get sent out into distribution. Um, And then, uh, yeah, in our Virginia Beach facility, that one, I don't remember what our barrelage is up there, but that our Virginia Beach facility is our production facility, whereas our Atlanta facility is quite a bit smaller and that's more of the innovation facility. So that is um, kind of, again, like I mentioned, I'm in charge of the tours, so I can, I can talk about I, I New Rob was, and what we do. I felt like I was there. I felt like I was yeah. sitting in the brewery next to you. Right, and if you look over here, you can see our fermenters. Uh, yeah, so that's, you know, that's uh, a little bit about, or a lot of it about New Realm. You, you mentioned that part of your job is about educating your employees, uh, the customers, you know, distributors, sales reps, You know, obviously beer education is important, but I think a lot of breweries don't take the time to sit down with their employees and go over their beers and how they're supposed to taste and how they're supposed to pour. So why do you think that's important of, you know, you know, it's going to cost time because you're going to have to pay the employees for it. It's going to, you know, it's cost of labor. It's your time. Why do you think it's so important for breweries to, you know, just educate, you know, everyone about their or more, more so the employees about their beer? For me, it's crucial. I, I'm very passionate. Um, if anyone is around me for more than five minutes or takes even a cursory glance at my social media, you will see how, um, we'll call it passionate, I am about beer clean glassware. And, you know, things like that are the hallmark of a good beer program. And it's not anything that's difficult. It's not you know, it's not terribly hard to come up with education topics because at the end of the day, you want your employees to be empowered to talk to the customers so your customers have a good experience. And making that investment in your employees is such a small way to show them that they're appreciated. Mm-hmm. So with things like education, you know, it's there are at times we have large trainings, uh, but we also have pre-shift meetings every day. The The front of house has that with, you know, the front of house staff. And one of the things I've started doing for all of our tap rooms is just a pre-shift blast that they can talk about for, you know, like for the next week. So it talks about here's the new brands that are coming out because sometimes we have brands that will come out in distribution that are very big deal in distribution, but maybe aren't quite as a, a, it's still a big deal, but it's not the same kind of rollout. So, you know, sometimes we might have something that goes out to market where maybe people come in the tap room looking for that. And, you know, the front of house is, is like, I, I know we've got this on tap, but, you know, like, why are you so excited about it? Uh, so, 
you know, talking about those new releases, telling them just kind of some of the basic facts about the beer, the, the alcohol, the style, what kind of ingredients are in it. One thing I always like to do since we do have a full kitchen is give them food pairing suggestions off of the menu. So when they do have people who come in and are expecting that kind of experience, the servers have that knowledge. And uh, then we always have a little beer education section where I have a different topic each week. So this week, for example, we have our Lime of the Party uh, fruited Berliner, or pardon me, fruited Gosa coming out. And the beer education was just five quick talking points about what is a Gosa? How do you pronounce Gosa? <laughs> you know, where does it, where does it come from? What should you expect? What's different about ours? Uh, and just those little talking points that, you know, within the pre-shift meeting every day, the, the manager on duty can just take a couple minutes and talk through it. And, you know, using the same information each day, not only helps the people who are there for pre-shift, but, you know, we don't have people who are working every single day, or if they are, they're not there for the pre-shift. So using that kind of messaging that's consistent is going to make sure that everybody's getting as much of that information as possible. So I say all of that to say that, you know, Training is crucial for your employees. You're going to have better employee retention because they know that you're investing in them. You're empowering them to talk to the customers. One of the things I'm very big about also is how you talk to customers who have questions about beer mm -hmm. and how you do that in a way that is respectful and approachable, makes beer fun because beer is fun. Um, you know, people forget educational. that. And so that's, yes. Yeah. And so that is, uh, you know, a big part of what I talk to people about and why I like to give them this information because one, I don't, I, you know, I have limited taproom experience. I have, I have, you know, in earlier lives, quite a bit of retail experience. So I have that customer facing experience to know that like, it's not fun when you're at your job and somebody asks you a question about something and you don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially in this, the food service industry, like whether that person's going to be nice to you about it or not, uh, you know, your, your tips depend on that. And there's all sorts of things that come into play for, employees just to want to be able to have that information or know where they can go to get that information, which is another thing I always tell people is that it's completely fine to say, I'm not sure, let me find out mm -hmm. and, and then go find out. And I, you know, my best case scenario is we've, we've provided that education and training that they know the answers, but if they need to go ask for, for the answer or for help, then go do that. I've been in situations where I've asked a question about something on the menu, you know, is this, this beer just says IPA, is this hazy, is this American? Um, and, you know, the server saying, I'm not sure, let me go find out is always completely fine with me because if you make something up, you know, if you tell me that it's hazy and I'm getting an American IPA, um, you know, like I'm, I'm still going to drink it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's there's kind of that credibility in the customer's mind. So I would say to anybody who thinks that they that education is something they don't have time for. Um, and I understand, particularly in smaller breweries, you know, the, a lot of times the owners are the brewmasters and the front of house manager and, uh, you know, the, I, the accountant and all of these things. And that then training can kind of fall by the wayside, but it is worth it to prioritize it. And really what you can do is just start by asking your employees, what kinds of questions do you have? What kind of questions do you get? You know, we have a sheet of paper at the brewery where people can write down if they get asked a question that they're not sure how to answer, they can let me know. And I can like for the next week, like that could be our beer education is talking about that. Um, so it is important to prioritize it and it's not as intimidating as I think a lot of people find mm -hmm. it. You know, it's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So just start with the biggest questions your employees have and also give them that buy-in on, on being part of that process of like, we're all in this together. I'm going to get you the resources that you have specifically said that you need. So yeah, and I, I if I can add one more thing to that, I will say that you know, the, the person who thinks they know a lot of beer because they drink a lot of beer, that's not necessarily the best person for your education to be educating your staff. I found a lot of times with those kinds of personality types, you are getting 
uh, a very not a um, impartial kind of beer education approach. You're getting more of a like get off my beer lawn fist shaking approach, uh, which is not how you want your staff to be right. trained to speak to customers. So is is clean beer glass your favorite type of kind of education to talk to people about? Um, what would be your favorite, like, you know, topic, you know, it's your yes. topic of the week. Is it beer, is it beer, clean beer glass or beer clean glass? I, that is a little tricky because I love a beer clean glass. I love it so much. I will take pictures of it. I will put it on my social media. I have highlights in my stories about beer clean glassware. I love it. Um, it is what happens more often is I will take just as many pictures of dirty glassware. Yeah. And I have people now like just randomly throughout my day, I will get texts or DMs from people who will send me a picture of their dirty glassware and be like, can you believe this? Or like, I know how much you hate this. Um, so it's, it's kind of likening it to like when people watch like the Lansing videos on YouTube, you know, where yeah. I'm just like, Oh, it's so gross. Oh, I don't want to look anymore. Right. Um, but yes, I would say probably at the end of the day, um, conveying that message about the importance of beer clean glassware is, you know, again, it goes back to that credibility of your tap room and um, the, it all, like all of your training, everything that you're doing kind of culminates in that glass that you're serving mm -hmm. a, um, a customer. And if it's dirty, you're telling the customer that you either don't know or don't care about what, you know, even the cleanliness of your glasses, you don't know, you don't care about how the beer is supposed to look, mm -hmm. um, you know, and by extension, you don't care about the experience that they have. Um, so I, I guess I would probably say that beer clean glassware would be my favorite thing to talk to people about. <laughs> and, you know, woe to the, the bartender who, uh, there was o there's only been one so far at New Realm who served me beer in a dirty glass oh. uh, without knowing who I was. So I didn't I didn't say anything to them because you know they don't know who I am. I'm just some random person. But I I took a picture and I followed up with the managers the next day to say like, hey, um, this is a learning opportunity. But uh, this was the glass that I got served beer in last night, and we need to be making sure that everybody's using the glass rinsers, checking the glasses. Uh, so yeah, beer clean glassware, probably my favorite. We're, we're doing plastic here at the brewery right now. And even when the bubbles stick to the side of the plastic glass, mm -hmm. I have to give it that little flick to get the bubbles gone. Yes. It, and it's just like, cause it looks dirty, but it's plastic it, we single use. And I'm like, it just, they're, they're clinging to the sides and it drives me nuts. So I, people are always like, why are you flicking the, the, the beer? And I'm like, it gets the bubbles off the side and it makes it look like <laughs> glass. And they're like, they're so right. they're like, it is a clean glass. It's plastic. And I'm like, yeah, but that's just where my mind goes. It looks dirty. Right. 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 And yes, and to be fair, also, if I if I'm being served beer in a plastic glass, I, I am very forgiving of that. And I'm, I'm never an asshole to whoever has served me the beer in a dirty glass. I, you know, I try to address it as nicely as possible right. after I've taken pictures and like sent snarky texts about it to friends. But I, I'm always very nice to the person about it. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so kind of a transition to, um, you know, before you at New Realm, you were uh, the executive director of the Craft Malters Guild. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk about this because obviously people focus on hops as being the, the you know, the powerhouse of the beer. Um, but I think malt is, you know, multiple gives it its color and that's very important too. It, it, it contributes to flavor, obviously, especially when it comes to darker beers. So why, you know, give us your, your you know, spiel or whatever on what on the why malt is important and you know the education and just knowledge you know of malt and the malt you're using in a beer is so important one of the things i've been doing um and even since i left the guild i malt is something about which i'm very passionate particularly craft malt and you know, trying to win hearts and minds that your malt isn't just the sugar delivery mechanism for your yeast, which for most of brewing history, that has been what it's been for. And, you know, it's really only been the last 15 years or so with the rise of craft that malt has started to move slightly past that. And that 
makes a lot of sense when we we think about you know up until let's say the the early 2000s and even still today the majority of beer sold throughout the world throughout the united states is macro macro lager adjunct lager and that is not i'm not making any kind of uh, value judgment on that at all um you know i like i like to let people like what they like but thinking through that with styles like that the the purpose behind that style is to make it as accessible and drinkable and desirable to as many people as possible. So the way that they do that is by making it with very little flavor and treating malt very much like that sugar delivery mechanism and making sure that they're, you know, the flavor has been bred out of that barley and then that the maltsters are, you know, processing that barley to develop as little flavor as possible. And it was less than 10 years ago that the Brewers Association came out with their seminal white paper on malt characteristics for all malt brewers, because most craft brewers are using all malt in their recipes. They're not using adjuncts like corn or rice. A few of them are now as, you know, again, as part of like an American lager style. So like United Craft Lager is our American lager that's made with flaked corn because that's what the style is. But generally craft brewers have different needs for all of their ingredients than macro brewers do, right? We're going for flavor. And what that white paper did was say, you know, craft brewers have a completely different set of needs than macro brewers do when it comes to barley characteristics, when it comes to malt characteristics. And one of those is flavor and I'm seeing in the craft beer world more and more brewers coming around to understanding that malt flavor doesn't just have to be neutral, which, you know, for a lot of people, that's what you've been brewing with Mm -hmm. for most of the time, because the barley research, the malt research, that's all been funded and coming from places like Anheuser-Busch, you know, places that are, are creating barley and then creating malt for their very specific needs. And that has been up till very recently, the only malt that was available to brewers. And so learning that malt can contribute flavor, that you can choose different kinds of base malts, depending on what kind of overall flavor profile you're going for. I I feel like if if you're a brewer, you know, and if you're a brewer listening to this and you're not looking at your malt flavor beyond, I use Maris Otter in my IPAs because I like the flavor that it gives, which is a great thing to do. Like, don't get me wrong, but if that's if that's as far as you've taken what your malt can do flavor-wise for your beer, you are missing out. Like, you're missing out on so many opportunities to make a truly unique product. And I was, I was doing a presentation last night about smoked beer, one of my other favorite things. If you've ever been around me for more than like 10 seconds, you've heard me talk about that. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I said is if you're looking to make a smoked beer that is a completely different flavor profile than something like Schlinkerla, than something like Alaskan uh, smoked porter, you know, as, as brewers up until recently, again, most of the smoked malt that was available to you was Beechwood smoked malt or uh, Wireman oak smoked wheat malt. Like those are the two that are basically available. And if we're all creating beers with those same two smoked malts, there is, you're going to have to work a lot harder to make mm-hmm. it be something that stands on its own. And something that Schlinkerla and Alaskan both do is they smoke their own malt, right? So they've created their own in-house process to create something very unique to them. And you can do that with craft malt. You can do that with the malt that's available out there. Um, I'm talking specifically about craft monsters and the, you know, the definition of the craft monsters guild, which is that most of your, your, uh, barley is grown from, or most of your grain is grown from within a 500 mile radius, which is actually a pretty big radius. A lot of craft monsters are much, much closer radius than that. Um, You're producing under 10,000 metric tons a year and you're independently owned. So the guidelines are very close to kind of what the craft brewer guidelines are for the Brewers Association. Uh, So when I'm talking about craft monsters, I'm specifically talking about them, but there are of course other monsters who fall outside of those guidelines um, that are still like every 
everybody's doing interesting things in malt right now. Um, so there's a ton to try out there. But if you're really interested in seeing how to make your malt, you know, work harder for you in terms of flavor and what it can contribute, then definitely check out craft maltsters. And another benefit of that is they're smaller. They do smaller batches. They're highly collaborative. You know, if you have something specific in mind there, are, I mean, there are so many craft maltsters who have that capability. Um, there's a handful of, of them that, that, you know, want, like you could just wake up and, you know, and call them and be like, I had a dream of this kind of malt flavor. And they would be like, okay, yes, yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll figure it out. Um, and I know I've done that recently with a craft maltster where I was like, Hey, I was thinking about this, but then with this and then with this, is that something you think you could do? And he was like, I'll get back to you. This like, this sounds interesting. Right. Uh, so, you know, malt, malt can contribute so much more flavor um, and complexity beyond just, um, you know, Pilsner malt being flour, um, you know, Maris Otter being nutty, uh, just kind of those basic descriptions. It can be, there's so much, so many more flavors out there that can be created. And if you're looking at your beer holistically, let your malt bring some of those flavors to the table. See what kind of hot profile you're going for. What are some complementary flavors that you could be adding within your malt to, you know, really make those hops pop beyond just using a, a neutral base malt? What is your favorite malt? Um, you know, it depends on, on the style and on the day. Um, if I'm looking for a good base malt, one of my very favorite ones to use is Epiphany Craft Malt. They're located in Durham, North Carolina. Their foundation malt is one of my favorites to use. It's got a, a beautiful flavor. It, you know, it's, it's similar. It's somewhere between... I, I would, I hate to say that it's similar to Maris Otter because I'm sure craft monsters are sick of hearing people say like, what do you have that's the closest to Maris Otter, right? Like as brewers, right. you're sick of people being like, what's the hoppiest thing you have? Um, but uh, Epiphany does a fantastic job. They're another one of those monsters who does a really like very collaborative um projects with with their brewers um, they're also very you know I'm a home brewer there they also do quite a bit with home brewers which I really value because home brewers drive a lot of innovation and have driven a lot of innovation within the brewing industry um, so Epiphany's foundation would be one of my very favorite ones um, I've just recently brewed with a bourbon barrel aged chocolate malt from Sugar Creek Malt House there in Indiana. Um, Caleb and his team are, they do, they do so many amazing things. Um, and I've got actually this past weekend in a homebrew competition, both beers that I entered placed in their categories and they were both made with 100% Sugar Creek malt. And, you know, that's, that's the difference. And, uh, you know, that, that's why those beers place. I, I know that it is like, I, I know that I'm a good home brewer, but, you know, using those different flavors is what's going to make your beer stand out. Um, so, yeah, I guess I would say workhorse all the time, like Desert Island malt, I would go with Epiphany's Foundation malt. Um, if I'm going for uh, something a little bit different, you know, different kinds of flavors, um, people who are like really pushing that innovation on their own, you know, from like, because they want to be pushing that in that envelope and figuring out new flavors. And I would definitely say Sugar Creek, uh, really anything that they do. Here's a, it's a Kentucky question. Do you know what bourbon the malt was aged in? What bourbon barrel? You know, I don't, but I will find out. Uh, but he also has, he has a barrel aging series of malt. So he has a red wine barrel Pilsner, nice. uh, just so many super interesting things that they're trying up there. Yeah. But yes. Can, I will, I will find me, out. Let me know what uh, distillery yeah. he uses. Um, obviously. Actually, you know what? I will, um, let me just send him a message right now, if you don't mind. And I will. Yeah, I will. Um, okay. You so see, you stole kind of one of my questions I had later about smoked beers. So I, I read that you <laughs> love smoked beers. Right. I don't like smoked beers. And I feel like I'm drinking a fire pit. So tell me why I'm wrong and I'm an idiot. <laughs> what, sure. what do I need to do to um, learn to like smoked beers or appreciate them? The brewery I work at currently, we have a smoked cherry wheat on. And okay. 
I wanted to like it so bad, but I did not. <laughs> uh, well, I will say, so when you were saying that and you said you don't like smoked beers, um, in my head, I was like, yet. You I was like going to say, beers. it's always yet. like you haven't found the right one. So right. guide me. Where should I start? Right. Yes. So uh, I, I was doing a, a presentation last night about um, smoked beers with actually with my old homebrew club in Charlotte. And um, I've, I've talked about these a couple of times. So I love smoked beers. I love all kinds of smoked beers um, with the exception of um, I hate when people and stylistically, this is also a no, no, don't ever use peat smoked malt in a beer. Um, it's I I said that last night and a few people were like, well, you could use like one to two percent. And I was like, no, you cannot. <laughs> no, you can't. It should be illegal. Um, so, you know, when I somebody says they don't like smoked beers, um, generally, I would ask what kinds of smoked beers have you tried? Because something like Schlinkerla is not for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's kind of that that ham bacon, very strong smoke. And for a lot of people that may have been what their, you know, that again, kind of like with malt, like the Schlinker love for a very long time was pretty much the only smoked beer you're going to find. And a lot of smoked beers that you will get on tap are going to be a kind of a version of that. So there are a ton of different styles of smoked beers that have varying levels of smoke to them. Um, you know, you've got something like a Lichtenhainer, which is kind of like a smoked Berliner Weiss. Uh, and I actually um, judged Best of Show in that homebrew comp uh, that I was just talking about. I didn't have any beers that were in Best of Show, which is why I, I could judge it, um, which was kind of bittersweet for them for me to be like, I'm just checking. I have a couple of entries. Can I still judge <laughs> Best of Show? And they're like, yeah you're fine. <laughs> so uh, in that best of show, a Lichtenhainer actually took best of show for that. Um, and that's, you know, got a little bit of smoked barley in it with wheat and lactobacillus. So it's uh, very, you know, smoky and tart, which doesn't sound like it would be, uh, I, if, mm -hmm. particularly if you're not a smoked beer person, it may sound a little like toothpaste and orange juice, but it's very good. It's very refreshing. Um, Grzycki is another one of those that's like that. Um, that is 100% oak smoked wheat. And it's also aimed at just being a very low ABV, you know, very sessionable smoked beer. With both of those beer styles, there is prominent smoke character in it. It's not a Schlinkerla. Right. So it's not like an in your face, really hammy kind of smoke mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Grzycki in particular, since it's oak smoked wheat, you're getting that oak to me is going to give a little bit more of a subtler, a little bit smoother smoke character um, than something like a Schlinker Love that's going to be the Beechwood smoked malt. Um, so I would say if you don't think you like smoked beers, try a few more, um, try some different styles and varying levels of smoke. I know uh, I always joke, I, I will have people say like, hey, I'm making a recipe. Um, I want some smoked character in it, but I don't like, I, I don't want it to be like a smoked beer. Right. And I'll always say, start with 20% smoked malt. And um, Rachel, actually my co-host of False Bottom Girls will be like, Okay, but I'm looking for normal level of smoke, not gen level of smoke. And I'm like, I'm telling you, just go with 20%. It will be fine. If you're super scared of it, go with 15%. But what happens if you're going below 20% is you may not get a pronounced enough smoke character that people understand that that flavor is supposed to be in there. Uh, because if you get, uh, you know, one of the reasons why peat smoked malt doesn't do very well in beer is because you've got those really high phenolic, like eugenol, stir, um, styrene, kind of like that burnt rubber mm -hmm. note to it. Uh, so you're not going to get that if you're using 20% smoked malt, unless you're using peat smoked malt, which I already said not to do, so we don't have to worry about that. But, um, you know, starting at around 20% is going to let people know that that smoke character is supposed to be there. And particularly if you're using something like a, um, 
like with Rachel, she was making a breakfast stout. So there was oatmeal in it. There was already roasted malt. And like the smoke was going to add a little bit of that like bacon kind of hammy flavor to it. And, you know, 20% is going to do that. Um, so there's definitely an art to smoked beers. And, you know, for most people, less is going to be more. Uh, so yeah, if you if you don't think that you like them, when you see one that isn't that has some sort of interesting smoke character to it, I would encourage you to try that and see if you like it. I um, actually with Epiphany had a bag of their Applewood smoked malt, and I wasn't sure I hadn't have I hadn't had Applewood smoked malt before, and I wasn't sure what that flavor was going to be like. I wasn't sure what the smoke character was going to be. So I did a hot steep, which is a fantastic thing to do with any kind of malt um, and was really surprised by the amount of apple character I was getting from the apple wood that, you know, that was in the malt and ended up kind of reverse engineering a recipe that would really highlight those flavors. And for me, the first time, the first beer I brewed with it was a Dunkelweizen. And I, I think I probably started with about 20% smoke and it, you know, it was too subtle uh, and it was noticeably a smoked beer, but it wasn't a mm -hmm. smoked Dunkelweizen. It was a Dunkelweizen with smoke. It wasn't uh, a so, gen smoked beer. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, you know, the next time I brewed with it, I brewed with, I think it was like 90% of that and then like 10% I had some um I think they were golden naked oaks or no I'm sorry it was blonde roast oats from Brees and you know that was a very still a very nice like apple forward smoked beer uh so if you see something that is a different kind of smoke try that and you know and see uh don't give up hope and uh, again, I, I know for a lot of people, the first thing they've tried is something like a Schlinkerla or, you know, or like you said, like a Cherrywood. I love that kind of beer, but it is very polarizing. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a, a handful of styles out there where the, the smoke is a little more nuanced than what you would find. And, you know, there are just a ton of things. If you, if you've got a hardwood, if you've got um, even like uh, Sugar Creek has a lavender smoked malt that they make. Uh, there's all sorts of different flavor combinations that you can make with the, you know, the type of smoke, the type of wood, or let's say just like your burning fuel that you're using, um, the type of smoke that that gives off along with the temperature of the smoke. So if you've got something that's cold smoked or kind of low and slow, that's going to give you a much more delicate smoke flavor. So not all smoked beers are the same is well, I, the very the very long answer for you <laughs> i am excited to start my smoke journey beer finding <laughs> experiment tomorrow it's going to start tomorrow good, I'm, gonna, good, I'm, gonna, good. I'm gonna find one that i like because <laughs> i mean I didn't, I didn't like ipas when i first started drinking and now that's 80 percent of what i drink so right just gotta right. find like you said gotta find the right smoked beer yes um, to start with and then so obviously you've mentioned a couple times that you're a home brewer um you're currently running for your second term on the american home brewers association governing committee so just real Correct. quick kind of tell you what the different roles are that you're you're, you're currently in and then if you're rerunning for the same ones Sure. So I have been on the, the governing committee for, I'm coming up on three years, which seems insane. Like it seems like very short and very long at the same time. Right. Um, I know the, the first time I, like when I was elected, it was a surprise to me because I hadn't, like I, I, I want to say maybe it was the last day to submit a candidate statement. I was like, sure, I'll, I'll do this. You know, I'm a member of the Homebrewers Association. This is something where I could see putting my skills to use. And I, I mean, I was delighted when I won. I was very surprised that I won. Um, and remember going to my first GC meeting. So we do our, you know, an annual meeting in person at HomebrewCon and just like, feeling like they're going to find me out. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be saying. And like the next year, you know, I walk into the meeting and like, I, I've, I've had another year under my belt. So um, it's, you know, it takes a while to kind of get your bearings and figure out exactly what it is that, you know, you as a member should be doing and then kind of what it is that the group wants to do. 
So within the GC, uh, I'm the chair of the industry subcommittee. I became the chair when I was with the guild. And then, you know, when I left and joined New Realm, I was still able to retain that position. So uh, I've been chair of the industry subcommittee for a couple of years now. I am also on the homebrew con uh, seminar selection committee. So you know, the, the conversation that I have in a lot of different places with a lot of different people in the beer industry is how do we diversify this? What, what can we do? You know, whatever room I'm in, what can I do with this group of people to move that forward? And with talking with that on the GC and looking at something like HomebrewCon, I've been fortunate enough to be able to present at HomebrewCon for the past two years, and I've, I've submitted proposals for this year as well, um, and we, we're still in the, the proposal uh, screening process. Similar to the, the best of show that I judged, I don't get to rate my own proposals, um, so I don't get to be like, yeah, this this gen lady, like, give Super her the smart. stage, yeah, um, but that was one of the things that we identified is, well, if we want you know, it's, it's great to have the experts come in and present. It's great to have the big names. There's also, you know, not, not everybody who's going to HomebrewCon is going just to hear those people. They want to hear different voices. They've already heard some of these people right. give, you know, like give, give their, share their expertise. And like, that's, I think that's totally, that's great. And those, you know, a lot of people have brought a lot of visibility and credibility to homebrewing as a hobby. And so it's always fantastic when they want to share their expertise, but I don't see a lot of people who look like me when I'm at HomebrewCon. And, you know, I know for people of color, that's even less though. Mm -hmm. And so through the discussions talking about, well, how do we get more women on the stage talking? How do we get more people of color on the stage talking and not just talking about what it's like to be underrepresented in the industry, because we can all talk about so much more than that. And, you know, how, how do we get more people looking at more proposals? How can we diversify who's submitting proposals? Well, one of the ways we can do that is diversify who's on the selection right. committee. And that was something that um, for myself personally, I, you know, I reached out to two different people to say, who I knew, you know, were members of the Homebrewers Association to say, I would really like it if you could join. This is why I would like it if you could join. Uh, I know other GC members did the same. So we ended up with new, new voices in the seminar selection committee this year. We had discussions about you know, what happens when somebody isn't as well-versed in submitting a proposal and are we rejecting proposals because there's not the kind of information we're used to seeing and the kind of information we're used to seeing from people who've presented every year for the past 15 years. Uh, so, you know, do we, can we put something in, in process to be able to follow up if somebody's got an interesting concept, can we help them develop it more instead of just rejecting a lot of people out of hand who haven't written a proposal before? And then identifying groups, you know, affinity groups, social groups, where we can say, hey, HomebrewCon is accepting submissions uh, for proposal or for uh, proposals for speaking at HomebrewCon. Please consider submitting something. And, you know, at least one of the groups that I submitted or I, I posted that in, somebody said like, okay, yeah, I, I, I would really like to do that. I'm like, great. You know, if you want help with your proposal, I can help with that. Um, I, I mean, I follow for my proposals, just a very formulaic, like basically copy and paste each time that just outlines the structure. Like I, I can help you with that. Um, so pushing that forward with the the seminar selections, the you know looking at who is being chosen to be on the stage, making sure that there are people who look like me, that there are people who look like other people who aren't used to seeing themselves on the stage at HomebrewCon. Uh, so doing that on the the seminar selection subcommittee, and you know really aside from that. One of the things I've been able to do um, in the past year with so many places going virtual uh, that has been offered up to the GC that's been awesome is signing up to talk to homebrew clubs. So I was able to present last night to my old homebrew club in Charlotte, but I have talked to clubs from, you know, St. Louis, Chicago, um, Florida, 
Colorado, Montana. And for me as a home brewer, it's great because I'm still new to this area and was ready to join the homebrew club right when we went into lockdown. So there haven't been in-person meetings for me to go to. And I'm very um, socially awkward and very introverted. So like putting me in a Zoom meeting with a bunch of people who know each other already, like I'm not I, I'm just, I, I mentally can't prepare myself for something like that. Uh, so being able once a month to go in or even, you know, a couple of times a month to go in and meet with these homebrew clubs across the country and talk to them has really filled that need for me to like talk to the homebrew community at large. And, you know, we, I also just do some kind of random things as the AHA needs support. I helped archive uh, some Zymergy issues. So if you you know, now you can go back and look at Zymergy online uh, to like back to 2000. And so um, you can do that partially due to me and to other people on the GC who spent a couple of Saturdays just, you know, archiving and making spreadsheets for them to be able to pull that information on there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, like I said, as I've been on the GC I've gotten much more comfortable stepping into roles or asking questions and saying like, I, I, I d dislike when somebody tells me what they think should be done and isn't willing to step up and do it themselves. Uh, so, you know, a lot of what I, I push for on the GC are also things that I'm like, look, if that needs to be me that drives it forward, right. I will do it. And um, yeah, I, you know, I'm hopefully going to get reelected to a second term and be able to continue that even farther. So obviously you're a homebrewer. How long have you been homebrewing? I started homebrewing about eight years ago. I was actually looking at um, one of my Facebook memories, like a couple of days mm -hmm. ago, was us bottling one of the first homebrews that I made. Uh, the first, I'm bad at math, but yeah, it would have been, I think 2013 was when I started brewing. And then what has been the beer that you've been most proud of that you've homebrewed? I've got... A, a barley wine. So second, barley wine is a very close second to smoked beer for my favorites. Um, I have an American barley wine that I've brewed a few times uh, that each time is, is kind of a, the, the, the malt part will usually stay pretty much the same. And then mm -hmm. the hops is kind of whatever I have around that I need to use up. Um, not always, but you know, you get as a, as a home brewery, you get to the point where you've got like 10 bags of a quarter ounce of hops. Right. And so like those, if you're making something like an American barley wine, you can just throw all that in and it will probably be fine. Um, so I've brewed that a few times. I've won a couple of awards for it. I had a barrel, uh, bourbon barrel aged version a few years ago that, oh, that I got an honorable mention in the best of show categories. Um, and actually I've shared that recipe with a couple of different people, but one of them was one of the best of show judges from that competition and he brews it every year. And he actually sent me a, um, an email a few months ago to be like, Hey, like I'm, uh, this is my fifth year in a row that I'm brewing this and it's just such a good beer. And I just wanted to let you know. Uh, so I would say that was probably the one I'm the most proud of because it was the one, you know, I, I brew pretty good beer most of the time. <laughs> Uh, but that's the one that giving it to people, they would taste it and, you know, do mm -hmm. the thing where like they take a drink and like, they look at you and they're like, that's really good. <laughs> and so that, I, that's really the only beer I've brewed where I've consistently gotten that kind of reaction from people. So I, I'm not really into barley wines either. So after I find okay. a good, <laughs> after I find a good smoked beer, I guess I got to move on to barley wines. You're, you're yes. making me expand my palate. Um, and then just kind of final wrap it up. You are the co-host of False Bottom Girls, which is a podcast you do with Rachel Hudson about, you know, being brewers. Um, so tell us, you know, just kind of give a generalized a speech about what it is and then why did you and Rachel feel it was important to start a brewing podcast that is led by two females? Sure. So right, False Bottom Girls is um, you know, Rachel and I are both advanced Cicerones. We're both studying for a master Cicerone later this year. Terrifyingly, up until about six weeks ago, the um, it had been postponed to like April 4th. So like at this point I would have been less than a month away. Um, and 
it's, it's since been postponed. But anyway, Rachel and I are both studying for that. We're both mm -hmm. advanced Cicerones. And, you know, we, we like to talk about beer. And we, it's been a good vehicle for us as we're studying for the master Cicerone when we see topics mm -hmm. to be like, hey, like, we neither one of us brews a ton with corn and rice so let's let's research that and talk about that because you know that that recall is so important when you're trying to learn something right. so how can i tell somebody about this in five bullet points uh so being able to identify those and talk about them has been a, a hugely beneficial for both of us um but you know we just we like to talk about beer a lot we're passionate about beer and um, i think that's pretty evident so you know, we also have voices in the industry and we have voices that you don't hear very often. Um, and again, you know, one of the things that I, I have said here, I've said a lot, you know, women in the beer industry can talk about more than what it's like to be women in the beer industry. And that really that statement is what got us to decide to start uh, start the podcast because there, you know, there aren't a ton of beer and brewing podcasts that have women on them. The biggest ones are all hosted by men. The guests are mostly men. And that's, you know, again, like that's, that's fine. I don't hear myself in, in the podcasts that are available a lot of the times. And we were having a conversation one day at Pilot about, I had gotten asked to do um, an interview for a local magazine. And obviously this wasn't the first time it happened. It was the last time that it happened that inevitably it was, what's it like being a woman in the brewing industry? And my response was, if you're a woman in the brewing industry, you get used to being reduced to your gender every single time somebody wants to talk to you about your experience and you're not asked about how you know what's your favorite way to brew a smoked beer you're not asked what is your recipe development process you're only asked what it's like to be a woman and it's we're all and i'm i don't say this to minimize anybody's experience but you know there is a lot of solidarity and a lot of similarity in experiences that women have in the brewing industry and it's you know almost universal that that's what you're going to get asked about right you're going to be tokenized in that way and that was my response and you know his his response back was like oh sorry i had to ask it and i was like no you didn't actually you didn't have to ask it at all because I don't have new experiences to share about what it's like to be a woman in the brewing industry. You're, you're, it's reductive. That's what it's like. And you know that, and you ask the question anyway. Um, I was nicer than that about it, but you know, Rachel and I were having the conversation about it and I was like, I'm done. I'm not answering that question anymore. When somebody asks me like, what is it like to be a woman in the brewing industry? you know, they're, they're not going to get the answer that they're expecting. And, you know, and hopefully they won't ask that question again. And I, I shouldn't say that, you know, there is, again, there's a lot of value in sharing that experience with people. And when women reach out to me about being in the brewing industry, I am very real with them about it. So there is value. So I'm not saying that there isn't, um, and I'll diverge just a little bit that, recently speaking to a friend of mine who said she had interviewed a woman who was the head of her pink boots chapter. And when they sat down, she said, don't ask me what it's like to be a, a female brewer. And, you know, her response was because that was one, you know, one of her first questions. And her response was perfectly fine. What is the story you want me to tell? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a better response or a better, even a better way to pose that question, where if you're talking to a woman in the brewing industry who wants to talk about what it is like, what her experience has been like, that opens the door, but it also opens the door to talk about, you know, anything else. So all of that to say, that's where we, you know, we, we kind of like, we didn't like physically handshake on it but we were both like we're done if you're done i'm done we're not doing this anymore we're not answering any more of these questions we have so much more to talk about and contribute so much more to the brewing industry than our gender and you know then it was like well 
we like to talk about beer. Everyone around us is sick of hearing us talk about beer. Um, we're the funniest people we know, so we should just start a podcast. And it kind of started out as a joke. And there was a, um, our local NPR station was having a contest for podcasts. And we were like, well, let's just enter. It'll, you know, like we've been talking about it. Let's just enter. And as we were, you know, getting our entry ready to go and talking about like, this is what it would look like along the way, we were like, we actually want to do this, like no matter what, whether we, we win this contest or not, we didn't, we were no, we we're never once were we ever close to being top of this, of really, really great podcasts. Uh, but, you know, like I was kind of having that idea of, I would just like to do this no matter mm -hmm. what. And then one day Rachel was like, you know, I really think we should just do this podcast. <laughs> like we've talked about it enough and we're both excited about it and we know we have something to contribute. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's where it stemmed from. And then what has kind of grown into is, you know, us doing a mix of technical topics, um, sometimes, you know, kind of current topics. And then as we get questions or identify things that our listeners would like to hear about, then, you know, we'll, we'll do episodes on that as well. Yeah. Like everything you said, I hate, I hated, you know, just asking that question. It's like, why did you want to start a podcast? That's, but like, you no, said, that's, that's totally fine. Like that. No, yeah. Like well, I, I definitely welcome the opportunity. I would never ask you like those questions, obviously. Right. <laughs> I, I think it's important to, you probably are one of very few, if any, podcasts where it's two women talking about brewing. You go right. through all the podcast feeds where it's like very technical stuff. It's all male stuff. So that's why I wanted to ask that question. And you gave the best answer that anyone could give. And hopefully if people are listening. They take that advice and listen to everything you said. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I think but, everyone should always listen to everything I say. <laughs> yeah, you're clearly very smart. I mean, you're, you've got me, you've got me on a Thank smoke you. journey, a smoke beer journey and a barley wine journey. So um, right. <laughs> you're doing something right. Um, so I end the podcast with uh, rapid fire and then two questions. So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and jump right into those. Okay. So six pack of 12 ounce cans or four pack of 16 ounce? Six pack of 12 ounce. Ale or lager yeast? Ale. I always throw that question in for my brewers. If you're drinking, <laughs> it's a hard one. <laughs> if you're if you're drinking straight from it, a bottle or a can? Oof, bottle again. New England or West Coast IPA? West Coast. Stout or porter? Porter. Gosa or Berliner Weiss? Ooh, Berliner Weiss. Seltzer or cider? Oh, that's a hard one. I would go, uh, I would go cider. Okay. Since you answered cider, favorite apple. Oh gosh. I don't know if I have a favorite apple. Um, that's terrible. Uh, we usually, are we talking about cider apples? No. Or just raw. apples in general. Okay. <laughs> um, then I think Fuji is usually what I go for. We had a, I had a very heated discussion with Kate Burnell of um, if you're hunting about <laughs> apples. So I've started to throw that question in here. Uh, chocolate or vanilla in your beer? Chocolate. Uh, brewery cats or brewery dogs? Ooh, Just, a it's basically I'm, a dog or cat question, but I have to yeah, throw it. Yeah, I'm a dog related. person, but I really like brewery cats. Brewery cats obviously serve a purpose. They dogs definitely are, add that like fu like you don't have to get that from your bartenders because you just have a brewery cat wandering around who just has disdain for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite beer city that you've traveled to? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, I am split between Grand Rapids and Chicago. I love that you said Grand Rapids because I'm heading there at the end of April. Oh, excellent. I just, one of my friends for the first time the other day had a beer from Brewery Vivant and I was thinking about how much I miss Brewery Vivant. It's one of my favorite places to go to. Yeah, yeah I'm headed up to Kalamazoo, um, Holland area, and then hopefully and then Grand Rapids. That's awesome. I, I love Michigan. I, I would live in Michigan if I could. It's my first time going up there. So I'm very, very oh, excited. Oh, it's going to be great. Yes. 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 Took going to be uh, about four day trip. So I'm excited. Nice. I've got some monsters up there. I could introduce you to if you're interested. <laughs> um, a favorite beer glass style. Ooh, um, I would just say goblet. Okay. Classic, classic goblet. Um, favorite hot variety to use. Eldorado. And then 
I already asked you your favorite malt, so we'll, we'll go ahead and skip that one. <laughs> and then what's your go-to beer right now? What's been your favorite one that you've recently had or one that you're, you're, you're drinking a lot of? Um, you know, uh, I brought home a six pack of Hoplandia last night. That, that it's, it is my go-to beer. And then if you could go on any beer vacation right now, where would it be and why? Obviously no COVID is not an issue. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, the, the week that I was, that I started my job at New Realm, I had to cancel a trip to England uh, that was going to be a beer vacation um, because I was starting that same week. And, you know, it doesn't really make sense to ask for like 10 days off when you're starting a new job. Um, So I think England, uh, although I would say that Germany is a very close second. Have you been to either before? I have not. I was fortunate enough to go to Belgium a few years ago. Um, But yes, I think like depending on the day this this past month, I've been studying English beer styles for my uh, master exam. So I've got like England on the mind. And then if you could have any beer right now with somebody who would be and why, who would you most love to sit down and have a beer with at New Realm? Ooh. You know, I would say, so anybody like living or dead? Uh, yeah. Yes. Living or dead. Okay. If you, do one, <laughs> if you have one of each, that works as well. Yeah. You know, I would say Michael Jackson would be kind of the top answer. I always um, have to clarify, not the singer, the beer yes, writer, Michael Jackson. Correct. 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 Yes. We actually have an upcoming episode on him. And so I've been, you know, looking at a lot of his books, rewatching the beer hunter. And I just mm-hmm. think that would be, he's just such a cool person. I would love to meet him. Um, in who is still living, I'm going to um, still very much, I guess, have England on the mind and say Ron Pattinson. He um, actually, they brewed a cask ale with him at New Realm a few years ago. Um, I always love being able to go see him speak uh, with uh, Zebulon Brewing just north of Asheville. Every year he kicks off Asheville Beer Week with some sort of like day long presentation with Ron Pattinson where they've just done some deep, deep, deep dive into, you know, into something. And the last one I went to was Porter. So it was like the history of Porter actually in conjunction with Epiphany Craft Malt and going back to like historical Porter's, you know, going back to like 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1850s, all the way up to like modern day Porter's and having those Porter's there to actually taste and then listen to Ron Pattinson talk about it was amazing. So I'll say Ron Pattinson. You're going very beer heavy, which is awesome. The funny thing is, <laughs> at first, I thought you said Robert Pattinson from like the Twilight movies. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I didn't peg her as that kind of lady who's into all this. <laughs> but I, you know, I was like, well, everyone would want to have a beer with somebody. So, right. and yeah. then you kept talking. I was like, she did not say Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I was like, maybe, I was like, maybe she's super into Batman. He's going to be the new Batman. Right. <laughs> I was very confused for like a good second. And then you, I was like, oh, different. You said Ron. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Rob, Robert Pattinson would be perfectly fine to have a beer with. Is he British? So I was, that's what I was thinking. Oh, he's British I think so. Too. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe you, maybe you'll see him in a pub when you're in London. Or something. <laughs> maybe I will. Well, Jen, I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview with you. Um, Thank you so much for hopping on here this evening. And um, I'm excited to see what announcements coming out in the next, hopefully day or two about New Realm and see see what's, yeah. what's new with you. I would have yeah, asked definitely. you what's new coming up, but it looks like we'll find out tomorrow. Right, yes. I, I There was news to me that people were finding out tomorrow. So um, yeah, it'll be a surprise for everyone. Uh, but thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it, was, it was really great being able to talk with you. And I always appreciate these opportunities um, you know, just to, just to talk to other people in the beer industry. So thank you. I really, I really had fun. You're very welcome. So guys, if you're ever in Atlanta area or Virginia beach, check out new room, new round brewing. I've had their Pilsner, which I'm a big fan of Pilsners. It was very good. And I will keep you all updated on my smoked beer journey. Yes, please do. And then your barley wine journey. And then I got to, I got to find a smoked <laughs> beer first. Then we'll get to barley wines. <laughs> all right, Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thanks.